Welcome to the latest edition of the Martin Sibley Show. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Robin Hindle Fisher, whose main claim to fame in the disability world is heading up the Extra Cost Commission, which was working very closely with Scope, the charity, all around the additional costs that people incur just from being disabled. And the actual statistic that came out of some of the research in this world was that it's £550 more expensive just to live when someone has a disability. Now, obviously, that's an average and there's higher and lower depending on different people's impairments. But as an average, it just shows how much more money it does take to live when you have a disability. And so in this episode, we're going to be chatting to Robin about his own story and background and how he worked in the private sector and then how he ended up being very involved in this part of the third sector, looking at disability and financial matters and what the hopes are for the future of these campaigns as well. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Robin, who has a really interesting and varied career, both in the private sector and more recently been working with Scope and um, generally in the sort of charity and third sector. So thank you for joining us today, Robin. Great pleasure, Martin. So as, as usual with the show, we sort of kick off with a bit more of a, a biographical sort of background story so the listeners can kind of hear a little bit more about who you are and, and where you come from and just really share any part of your backstory that you think um, that would be great for the listeners to hear really to set the scene. Great, thanks Martin, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in my late 50s, I'm one of the um, people who was affected by uh, the drug thalidomide. Uh, I was one of the old, I'm one of the older cohort in the UK, so I was born in 1959. And as some listeners may know, uh, there, was sort of, there was a range between 1959 and 1963 uh, of around uh, 450 now surviving uh, babies were affected by thalidomide. But we think, and there's plenty of evidence, that many, many more than that uh, were affected and either didn't survive or, or died very early, very early in their lives. For whatever, and this was a drug, this sort of this drug, a, a drug given to, to mothers having babies, is that right? That's right. It was a drug given to pregnant mothers. It was particularly, it was thought to be, to be particularly effective uh, and indeed particularly safe uh, for mothers uh, suffering from morning sickness. And so it was, it was originally um, manufactured by uh, a German company called Gunenthal, uh, but was licensed in the UK uh, by a company called Distillers, which was the, the main uh, whiskey um, uh, uh, manufacturer and distributor in the UK, and they they started to um, move into uh, into pharmaceuticals uh, as a sort of diversification away from uh, their alcoholic drinks, and they licensed uh, thalidomide in the UK, and uh, it was say it was very widely distributed and obviously used with good with all good intention uh, quite widely for pregnant mothers, but was then found uh, to have in some cases absolutely devastating effects. Uh, on the unborn child. Wow, I mean, I, I've sort of heard of um, the story you know, in a general ad hoc way, um, and, and I've met a few people that have been affected by the drug, but it's, yeah, I've never heard sort of the backstory as in-depth as that, so it's very, mm. very interesting to hear. I mean, how, how does that, how has that affected you, um, both when you were born and just generally in life, what sort of day-to-day impact has that well, had on you? Yeah, I, I was about to say, certainly within the 
within the sort of the range of the cohort of, of disabled people, people disabled by my I certainly very much consider myself to be uh, at, the, at the, the fortunate end. Um, I've got two, both my arms are pretty severely uh, uh, deformed. So my arms are sort of half the length of a, of a inverted commas, normal person's arms. Uh, I've got uh, four fingers on one, on one hand and three on the other. Um, so, as I say, by, by most people's standards, um, pretty severely disabled. But in comparison with many of the other people uh, who are affected by thalidomide, as I say, I consider myself self lucky. So I, I'm, I'm fully mobile, and I've got, I hope, reasonably good communi communication skills. So they're, they're not affected uh, by by the drug. Um, so, as I say, undoubtedly disabled, but I've never considered myself. I must say, always consider myself to be relatively lucky in that sense. Yeah, but I, was... I mean, other the people that we've had on the show, you know, differing levels of impairments, as you say, sort of it affects not not just with thalidomide, um, but it just affects people in different ways. And generally, yeah. everyone has found ways of overcoming the sort of barriers of daily life and and being able to to live the best life possible. Obviously, some people have um, certain equipment or care input, but one way or another, you know, generally people find their way, but the, the biggest barrier for a lot of people can be the sort of attitudinal barriers. I mean, how, how did you find growing up with your condition? Was, was there a lot of, like, were you bullied? Was there a lot of negative comments made or anything like that? Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, growing up in the in the 60s and 70s when the attitude to disability was, in a sense, a lot worse than it is now and certainly much more stigmatisation of, of disability. Um, more with the benefit of hindsight, uh, I would say was 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 pretty tough. Um, I think it at the time. Uh, I think I was relatively. I was. I feel well, again. I feel I'm very lucky, but in many other ways as well. So uh, I didn't fear. I certainly look back and feel I had an unhappy childhood. Um, but it was certainly certainly. I think there were certainly difficulties about it. Um, but I think much 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 more difficult for my mother, uh, not only being. The, you know, the parent of a disabled child, but also um, a completely unfounded, uh, very strong feeling of guilt that it was yeah. her, take, her, her taking of the drug that, 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 that caused it. Um, but I was uh, very close to my mother, probably partly because of my, my disability. Um, and she had a very, very strong uh, ethos or ethic that I should consider myself to be as, as good as anybody else. Um, and be able to do as much as I could and much as I wanted to. So I was I was encouraged from a very early age um, to assume that I could do what everybody else did. Brilliant. Uh, well, looking later on then, I mean, how, how was sort of education in general, but sort of moving into employment, how did you find that whole world? Well, I was I was thinking in preparation of being on the show that I'm 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 not sure whether whether my story, as it were, is is a sort of uh, a good a good example of, of of how to how to deal with disability, or actually an outdated one or 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 a bad one, um, in that I for the vast majority of my life pretty much refused to consider myself as a disabled person and presented myself to the world. Uh, in, a, in a way that minimised uh, uh, disability, both in terms of you know, how I dressed, how I looked. In a sense, I tried to fit in yeah. uh, as much as much with the with with, with the non-disabled world as possible, um, which at the time felt like the right thing to do. And 
you know, my, as I said earlier, my, my mother's motivation was for, 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 for my life to be as inverted as normal as possible. Um, and while I have certainly have absolutely no regrets about that, because um, I think it, it has enabled me to, to achieve some things in, in life which I'm mostly proud of. Um, but I'm, I'm, I hope now that society's attitude to disability is, is very different. So I would certainly hope that young people growing up with disability now would not need or would not feel that, that, that pressure to sort of fit in as much as, as, much as I did. That's interesting. When I, again, looking back at some of the guests I've had on the show, I think there's inevitably a period where everyone is trying to fit in and sort of mainstream themselves and not yeah. um, almost sometimes acknowledge or accept parts about their disability or their impairment. And I think um, everyone seems to have had a point in life, and it's sometimes earlier or later, depending on the person, but where they started to maybe in like and feel proud of part of their identity that was disabled and also having that wanting to contribute something um, beyond themselves and finding out that there's this sort of cohort this group of people known as disabled people which actually are a very different and sometimes disparate group of people as well but that yeah. that feeling of wanting to to pass on those those learnings and that growth and those experiences so I think actually your your story is very typical and I think every every story is valid we all have different journeys and different barriers and different yeah. successes and it, it's great to hear a, yeah. a wide variety of those so I mean in terms of career-wise what where did you start out um early on in your career then well the way I, the way I describe I would sort of describe it as I was very keen to get what I call conventional badges of success I suppose to prove to everybody, probably most of all myself, uh, that I could do what everybody else did. So um, I went to university after having been to boarding school um, and the father of a great, I was discussing my, what I might do in my career and uh, I mentioned that I would, I was quite interested in joining what were then called merchant banks, which were sort of almost the, the elite part of, this, of the city in the, in the, in the late uh, 70s and early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a, and the father of a great friend of mine said, oh well, no, I don't think you'll be able to get into one of those. Um, and that was a that was a red rag to a bull for me. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it, say it to him at the time. Uh, I can remember thinking, now, and it's what, 40 years later, probably almost. Um, okay, well, that's what I'm going to try and do. Um, so I started uh, after I left university. I started working, uh, use the conventional language in the city, uh, working for uh, one of the say one of the one of the merchant banks, and carried on working in financial services. Uh, until uh, the late, or full time at least, until late 2009. So, uh, sort of 20, 27 year career working in what's called the, 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 the fund management industry. So, managing other people's money from, in my case, predominantly the pension funds of large corporate companies. Sure, sure. No, that's interesting. I mean, then on the disability side, were there any um, sort of memorable moments where it, it did feel that there were barriers that were inverted commas? <laughs> disabling you or was it, did it just through sheer determination you just sort of crashed through those barriers on the way well there's there, there certainly i don't remember many neg negative episodes of Morris martin but there was certainly one which i didn't not sure i even particularly understood at the time but i was going for interviews at the various uh, banks uh, in this is in 1982 um, and there was one that was uh, particularly uh, i would use the word pucker and I was being interviewed, and um, the guy interviewed me said to me at the end of the interview, 
So I don't really think we we, we employ people like you. Oh wow! And at the time, uh, I didn't really know what he meant. I didn't know what he showed my in a sense my naivety or my my lack of appreciation of the, the significance of my disability, I guess. Um, so I didn't I didn't particularly challenge him or reply. But uh, looking back on it, um, that was pretty. Now it's now pretty clear what pretty clear what he meant. Yes. Yeah, sure. But I think, but you know, I, again, I I'm a, don't want to sound as if I'm making making light of uh, being a disabled person because it certainly had its dark dark moments, many dark moments. Um, but I'm also conscious that uh, I remember a, a colleague I worked with telling me this sort of when I was in my mid thirties. The advantage I had um, is that if you if you're half good at what you do, which hopefully I was or am. Um, people are always going to remember you uh, as the person uh, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, that you're going to stand out from the crowd, both, both lit literally and metaphorically. Um, so I think the fact that I so was hopefully reasonably good at what I did, um, but also to some extent uh, to uh, you know, overcome uh, other barriers, uh, actually played 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 very well played very well for me in my, in my career. Yeah, it's interesting the thing about, you know, we, generally as humans, we tend to try to fit in because evolutionary, it was in our interest to, you know, to fit into the, the clan or the, you know, the, the school or the group or whatever. But I um, mean, this day and age, very often difference and diversity does have its own benefits socially and economically as well. So it's an interesting Absolutely. point there. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I know obviously the, the big thing we're going to talk about is, the extra cost commission work that you did um, yep. with Scope as well. So how, how did, well, yeah, let, let's look at sort of how you ended up going from managing funds and then coming into the sort of charitable sector and disability sector. And then obviously we'll have a chat about what the extra cost commission is as well. Sure. Yeah, you, may, you mentioned earlier that, that, that many disabled people um, feel a, a desire to to contribute and to to do innocence to, to help other, other disabled people and that really resonated with me so uh, i've actually been a, a, a trustee of various uh, disability charities since i since my late 30s um, i was originally uh, the, a trustee of a very small charity called the lady whore trust uh, which was a, a charity that was set up uh, in the 19 uh, late 1960s early 1970s specifically to uh, help um, families with disabled children caused by thalidomide. But the, the child, by the time I became involved in it, the charity had um, developed into helping uh, families with disabled children much more generally. Um, but it was a very small charity, but it was my first experience of, of being a trustee. So I was you know, working full time in financial services, as I was describing earlier, but acting as a trustee, effectively a non executive director uh, of this uh, charity. And Long story short, we realised that, that that charity was was too small, and ultimately, uh, it's uh, it was untenable. So we we arranged for it to merge with a bigger charity uh, called um, uh, Contact a Family, um, which I went on to be a trustee of that. And when I when my term finished there, I became a trustee and then ultimately the vice chair of the Family Fund, which is a fantastic organisation. Uh, that effectively distributes highly targeted um, welfare payments on behalf of the four national governments in the UK, again, to the families of, of disabled uh, children. And when my term finished there, um, I became involved initially at Scope initially uh, with uh, chairing the Extra Cost Commission, which we'll go on and talk about in a second, 
Uh, but when when the commission's work finished, I then joined the the, the, the trustee board of scope and the now now vice chair of scope. But but just to be clear, uh, these are all in a sense what I would call non-executive or, or part-time roles. I don't I don't in, in a sense I don't do the actual work. Uh, I hopefully help and support and sometimes challenge uh, the people who work at the charities and, and who are the, the the real heroes of the story. Well, it's the same as any good democratic government. All charities need the balance and, and checks. I know I've, I've been a trustee in the past of a, a smaller charity for my yeah. impairment, and it's um yeah, it's it's good to sort of be on on all sides of it at different points. Yeah. It sounds like, as you say, your uh, more charitable works come via the sort of trustee position, mostly moving from through a few of them to ending up at, at scope now. Um, but yeah, yeah it'd be great to hear. Sorry, yeah, go on, go on, Robin. No, it's, it's, it's being, being a trustee is how I feel I can add um, most, most, most value to, you know, to, 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 to the sector in the sense I bring the experience of working in the commercial sector. I've been on, on boards of companies uh, in, the, in the commercial sector. So in a sense, I, br I bring that slightly different dimension, um, hopefully to the benefit of, of the third sector as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's hear a bit more about the extra cost commission. I mean, obviously, I've read some of the the, the communications from Scope and elsewhere over the the time. But for the listeners, it'd be great to sort of summarise basically what problem it's trying to address and and how it's. Yeah, you know, yeah. Thanks. I mean, the the genesis, in the sense of the extra cost commission, was some work that Scope did. Uh, I think in, originally in two thousand and twelve or two thousand and thirteen. So before my involvement with, 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 the, with the commission, but they did some research really trying to identify what level of additional cost disabled people uh, have to bear, in a sense, in order to be able to live the same sort of lives as, lives of, as other people. So what are, what are the, the, the unavoidable extra costs um, that disabled uh, people have to, have to say have to, have to have to put up with? And they came up, they did some very good research and came up with a figure which is a very much an average figure, particularly the, you know, the, the, the variance around the average is huge, mm -hmm. reflected, reflecting the fact that there are, every disabled person has, uh, has different needs. Uh, but they came up with a figure that, uh, on average, uh, disabled people have to spend around £550 a month, wow. over and above, exactly, over and above uh, other costs of living in order to, to, be able to, to be able to live lives of other people. Um, and if you then look at uh, what sort of what the, the equivalent welfare payments uh, are, um, it, it comes to a sum of around three hundred and sixty pounds a month um, from, you know, to be equivalent to five hundred and fifty. So even when disabled people are receiving uh, the appropriate um, states uh, state support, there's still a, a very significant gap. Let's call it in round numbers two hundred pounds a month yeah, yeah. Um, that, that disabled people have to have to fill. And the Extra Cost Commission was set up in the summer of 2014, um, not in any way to do, or not particularly to do any more work on trying to understand that, that figure, but really to, to look for solutions for how um, that, 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 that figure can be reduced. And it was really running in parallel, very important to stress this, running in parallel to the work that, the work that Scope does and many other charities do to continue to put pressure on you know, whatever, whichever government is in power, uh, to maintain uh, the, 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 the appropriate welfare payments. But we didn't focus on those welfare payments. What we were looking at 
is ways in the sense of you finding market-based ways yeah. of reduce, reducing the burden, reducing those, those extra costs. So what we were effectively looking, look, trying to do was see whether there's an opportunity for uh, consumers, uh, sorry, disabled people as consumers uh, to, to, to get better value for money from the, the particular areas where they, they have to bear additional costs. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the economic argument has been the sort of uh, the, the latest tool that the movement have been trying to use. Obviously, back in the 90s, there was the first Disability Discrimination Act and the more political battle was kind of won, as you say, was still sort of fighting regression and, you know, watching that we don't go backwards with the political fight. Um, but that whole thing around the economics is definitely... Um, potentially the, the the new frontier of how to sort of realise the more equality and inclusion. Um, and I know I do some consultancy work for a company called Open Inclusion, and they try to work with big brands and say, "Look, hey, there's this big number of people, and they're willing to spend um, their money." And I think the latest government figure is it 249 billion a year is the spending power, the purple power. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 the purple pound, which is the, depending on how you define it, if we, if, if we use the definition of 13 million uh, disabled people uh, in the UK, and that, that, that includes uh, people of all ages, but 7.5 million of working age, uh, their cumulative uh, spending power, as you say, is this, this figure of 249 billion. Which is a lot of It's a lot It's a lot of money. Um, and the, the particular sort of categories of, of, of where people have to bear these extra costs. I mean, there are, there are some things that disabled people just have to spend more on uh, than other people. So you know, heating bills, which sometimes are higher because of uh, lower levels of mobility and clothing, just having to, you know, having to have more, buy new clothes more often um, is, is, one, is one, one type of extra costs. Um, there are also uh, clearly the second category would be what I would call specialised equipment yeah. that just some disabled people require that others don't. So wheelchairs and needs to mobility are obvious examples of that. And then the third category is areas where disabled people are just quite frankly getting ripped off. Um, and one of the areas that we looked at was the, the, the sort of taxis and private hire vehicles uh, where, there's, where there's plenty of, plenty of evidence uh, that not just the cowboys in the industry, but many other people to some extent we're taking advantage of disabled people yeah um, we're just really keen to to highlight both the opportunities for companies uh, particularly the opportunities for companies in the way that you would describe some of the consultancy work you do uh, but also to expose uh, bad bad practice as well yeah yeah you need the the carrot and the stick very often to to get better results i mean i was thinking about ago i've also had some involvement in startup companies one was around trying to create a new wheelchair that would look a bit you know using more modern design and modern engineering and so it was trying to really disrupt and innovate the wheelchair market and they had a torrid time trying to get into a position of funding and sustainability and i've also been involved in um, holiday companies and again it it almost seems that the more specialist startups that, that are really trying to shake the world around and get things more where they should be there's so many barriers to entry and then 
there's the the sort of current incumbents that have maybe got a little bit comfortable and they're not being pushed by um, other potential competition to improve and drive the price down. And then the mainstream companies just don't seem to get the the opportunity or want to engage for fear of messing it up and all that kind of stuff. So it has felt like a bit of a, a stalemate. But, I mean, have you seen some light at the end of the tunnel and some progress in any of this? Certainly seen examples of all of all of those things. And it's, it's been interesting a number of occasions with the response we've had from large companies and it is big companies that we'd like we'd like to get involved obviously startups are great as well but we'd like the really big big brands to get involved in the disability sector because it's they, they can introduce the scale that i think is required yeah to really drive down costs but many companies and i say many companies the number of companies that, that, that i've had experience of are somehow reluctant to do that because they don't want to be seen uh, being disrupted in a sector which they think might might well be operating pretty well for disabled people so they're almost reluctant to to get involved in it thinking that you know their their presence will be seen as as as, as profit hunting my argument is absolutely opposite uh, it is if there's if there's if there's money to be made get companies involved and then let them compete and drive drive down the costs and that we then that we ultimately have to have to put have to pay yeah, well, and interestingly, from the, the point of view of disabled people, both my own experience, but a lot of the, the community I engage with, both friends in person, but also online and social media, is that when there are products that are more mainstream, we feel like we're being marketed to as consumers, not patients. And I think yeah. that's really powerful for everybody involved. That, that That's the holy grail of where it should all be. But Absolutely right. and, and as much as like smartphones and, and laptops, PCs, and there's a lot of um, sort of innovation improvement in that world, the, the, the very particular specialist equipment like wheelchair and hoists, I mean, how do you see that can fit into the scaling equation? Uh, it's a really good question. I certainly have no you know, silver, s- s- silver bullet solution uh, to uh, to to. Um, to offer, but um, I think it is it is about some of the things we already touched on is disabled people being more the expression we ended up using. One of the key recommendations of the Extra Cost Commission was a, a, a desire for disabled people to be to be bold and loud as consumers, and in a sense to be able to be more more keen or more happier to accept the label of disability and, and then get some of the sort of the economic power from the num- from the from the sort of numbers. Of people and perhaps spending power that we've been talking about. So I think people, disabled people, being louder, louder and bolder about what they need and what their requirements are is part of it. Yeah. But also, I think the commercial sector needs help uh, in understanding the opportunities there are there. I mean, as, as you will know, you know, there are wheel, wheelchair manufacturers uh, who are charging huge amounts of money. I actually don't think it's that they are then profiteering from that. I don't think that people are making making huge amounts of money out of it. But what we're not doing is getting getting the benefits and the economies of scale that larger companies could get if they were manufacturing manufacturing those wheelchairs. So yeah. it's really ex- exposing the attractions of the market uh, and then getting getting companies to want to want to operate it. I think is the key. I mean, could you see mainstream manufacturers and retailers entering the the sort of um, wheelchair hoist? adaptive bathroom kind of spaces? 
I haven't, I haven't got again. I haven't got a solution to that to that at the moment, Martin. But that's more. It's more of something that I still dream of rather yeah, than something yeah. I've got a plan for. <laughs> I, you know, what, what, I, you know, what I'd like to see um, is the the high street retailers uh, having a, 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 a mobility or a disability department. Um, so you know, I'd like the the obvious name to name to pull out of the hat. So I'd like I'd like to see John Lewis uh, becoming becoming involved in the sector. And then using their brand and their their purchasing power, both to, both to provide a, a, a better outcomes uh, for their the, the, their customers, but also to drive drive down drive down the cost from suppliers. Yeah. That, that I think is that I think is the is the would be the would be the holy grail. Cool. So we need to set up a coffee with John Lewis then, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Still, still trying to lobby, lobby them, but uh, if any, any 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 listeners have any way of uh, of uh, lending their weight to that, would be fantastic. Great. I mean, I, I think that the listeners would have found that really fascinating uh, through the, from your personal journey up to the the whole area about extra cost commission. I mean, personally, I I, I studied economics at university, and so it's a real area of interest how we can try and use those sort of um, discussions with the businesses to still realise improvement and equality and inclusion for disabled people. Um, I, re- I really like the loud and proud thing as well. That had a really nice kind of simple soundbite for people to take away, to be loud and proud. Yeah. Um, if they're all fired up, um, not, not that we're now um, suggesting people go and cause riots either, but, uh, <laughs> what, what, what sort of, are there any tangible ways that they can get involved in with the commission or or even just sort of specific tactics that maybe they could look to do with businesses and help influence i i would really really encourage disabled people and the families of disabled people to to talk to companies and talk to retailers particularly about what they need and what they want we've had a fabulous story and i and i'm going to be completely honest the extra cost commission can take perhaps a little bit of credit for this but but but, but not much um, but the grandmother of a, a fairly severely disabled child um, approached uh, Marks and Spencers, it was MS, uh, about being able to provide um, effectively baby clothing, but for larger children uh, who, who need uh, the equivalent of, of baby clothes. Um, and she was very persistent. And uh, Marks and Spencer, to their great credit, um, reacted really, really, really well and are now providing or are now selling. Uh, the sort of uh, clothes that, that her grandson needs at a fraction of the cost that she was having to, having to pay, or her family were having to pay, uh, while, while going through, if you like, the, the sort of speciality retailers. And I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm slagging off the speciality retailers or implying that they are ripping people off. That I don't think is the case. It is the scale yeah. uh, that's that's something like Marks and Spencer and the buying power and the manufacturing power that they have. Which is in a, in a, enabling them to reduce costs. So that going back to your original question, Martin. You know, I think the the bolder and louder disabled people are in a constructive way about what they want to need to companies, particularly to retailers, the better. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, there's, I think it's true of society in general. I think it's true, it can be true in the, in the disability sector. You know, there's a feeling that sort of the companies are the are, are, are the, you know, the bad guys, that the corporate sector is somehow out there to, to get a sort of profiteer from us. Now, I think I think on occasions that's right and it's unacceptable when it, when it is right. But the vast majority of companies uh, want to make a decent return for their owners and shareholders, which are 
very often held by pension funds and people like us anyhow. Um, and the opportunity to, for them to make a, a reasonable return but produce a much better outcome for us uh, is one I think we should all embrace. Fantastic. Very, very nice way to uh, finish the interview there. And uh, yeah, let's, let's have another catch up in the future about how things are going in your world. But um, thank you very much for your time today, Robin. Thank you, Martin. It's been a great pleasure. Huge thanks to Robin for joining the show today. I hope you found that interview both interesting but also enlightening in terms of the the numbers and the extra costs that disabled people are incurring. Certainly something we need to shout about, but as Robin also said, and I agree as well, um, consumers, disabled consumers, need to stand up for our rights and ask what goods and services we need and want and at a price that is affordable, but doing it in a way that engages the businesses to want to work with us and to take on board our suggestions and really have a a two-way dialogue rather than the kind of outright shouty and nasty thing that sometimes can go on and understandably people are frustrated and angry about the injustice of a lot of things in the world but I think in the end if we're actually gonna see change we have to work together with these kind of businesses and get them on side rather than having a sort of uh, issue um, against one another so yeah again thank you to Robin for highlighting that and good luck for everything in the future and that ends up another episode of the Martin Simply Show.